go into the the message part of our worship together gosh that blessed my soul to see our young people leading us in worship and i'm excited i'm so grateful for amy stevens our new children's director about how she's going to continue to do more of these things yes thank you amy more of these things especially as we point to first sundays if you're not familiar with our family worship uh, to have more of our our children leading us in worship. So we do give praise to God. We do give God our Hosanna in the highest. Um, And today is Palm Sunday, if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, And it's exciting. Um, And and you might not be too familiar, but I appreciated the way that that Hank kind of touched on this. But today is Palm Sunday, which means that it's the day that marks the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week is the week that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion, uh, to his death, and ultimately to his resurrection. And if we think about kind of like church culture and even just broad culture, we tend to, to celebrate and emphasize Easter, right? And that's a good thing. We, that's where we, that's the, the cornerstone of our faith that Jesus died and was resurrected, and therefore we have new life in Christ. But if we look at Easter and we begin to work our way backward, we begin to realize that, hey, there's a whole lot more going on to this story. There's more going on that builds up to this miraculous event. And when we look at the gospel stories, right, and then we as the church, when we read these gospel stories, we tend to highlight some of these important events that lead up to Easter, lead up to the resurrection. And so there are uh, certain stories that we emphasize during each part of the week of Holy Week. In different churches, different traditions, different tribes, they will uh, emphasize some more than others. But I'm going to kind of give a breakdown, starting with Easter and going backwards. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but just to help begin to build um, some of that learning and and some of that expectation about all that's, that's leading into this amazing moment that we all get to claim and share through Easter. And so if we start with Sunday, that's Jesus's resurrection, right? And then uh, people were really waiting and expecting on Saturday. They didn't know what was going to happen, right? They were all uh, having their Sabbath. They were waiting. They were trying to honor and glorify God and that. And so then uh, after that, we have Friday. This is when Jesus was, was crucified, right? He died on the cross. And then if we back it up to Thursday... This is Jesus' last supper with his disciples before he was betrayed by Judas. And so he had this last supper. It's, it's where we get uh, the, the new covenant that Jesus instills with communion, right? Where he, he breaks the bread and he shares the cup. That's where we get that imagery, that, that metaphor and, and that sacrament from. And, and he's teaching in these last moments with these disciples is teaching them how to serve one another, how to be servant leaders. And Jesus models that by, by washing his disciples' feet, right? And we'll actually have a, an opportunity later this week on Thursday uh, where you get to experience what that was like during the time when Jesus would have done that, when Jesus did do that for his disciples. But he's teaching them. He's d- giving his, his last address to them in order to encourage them because things are, aren't going to go the way that they may have expected at first. And so Jesus does that. He, he shows them how to be servant leaders. And then there's more uh, throughout the week. Wednesday is when Judas is, is plotting his betrayal against Jesus. And then Tuesday is when Jesus begins to make his predictions to his disciples about his, his death. And then Monday is about Jesus' anointing. So there's all of these things going on that are, that are building up. Um, and it's really in stark contrast uh, to Palm Sunday, right? Because there's a celebration that's happening with 
Palm Sunday uh, in contrast to these kind of darker, more somber events that, that lead up to Easter. And the reason why that is is that we on this side of history, right, we, we know what's coming uh, with Easter, right? But the people around Jesus, even the disciples, didn't know what we know now, right? And so they're coming in, and we're going to unpack what it means uh, to celebrate on Palm Sunday. And, and so they didn't know what was in store for them. So they had a certain expectation about Jesus' role and about what he was about to do. And that's where we're jumping into this morning, is exactly one week, one week before Jesus' resurrection, into a celebration. It's during a procession, and people were coming from all over in observance for a Jewish celebration that, that was already very popular, very meaningful. It was called the Passover right? And so people were, were coming from near and far to Jerusalem to worship for this Passover festival um, and to celebrate. And uh, this celebration uh, is, is what people thought, it became about what people thought Jesus was going to do before any of these darker events unfolded. So just trying to provide some context as we read what we're about to read. Um, and I encourage you to follow along. We're going to be in the New Testament, uh, second half of your Bibles, uh, towards the beginning. And so we have the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and then we have Luke and John. And so if you want to turn to your Bibles and follow along in, in, in that way, or if you have your smartphones, and of course, we have the words up on the screen. But we're entering into this story as it's told by the Gospel of Luke. And this is what it says. It says... After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He was probably teaching something, and so the story is continuing. And, it, and we learn that as Jesus came to Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there, and when you enter it, you will find, a you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. And those who had been sent found it exactly as Jesus had said. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And then they replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw on their coals on the, the clothes on the colt and they lifted Jesus onto it. And as Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. But then some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And everyone said, thanks be to God. And so it's a, it's a sort of interesting start to a story like this one, right? Uh, like when I read this, I'm always reminded, it sounds like Jesus is telling these two disciples, 
to like do this sort of Jedi mind trick, right? Like just go do this. And when you get down to that village, and if anyone asks about it, just say the master needs it. And then all of a sudden they'll just hand it over and you can bring it back here. No problems asked, right? But what Jesus was really doing is that Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy. And if you didn't know, a prophecy is really a proclamation of God's word. And it's also a future action, right? And so Jesus, if you didn't know, there's, there's all sorts of examples of how Jesus begins to fulfill all of these prophecies of old. God spoke about the future, about God's future action, and now it's all starting to become true. Jesus is fulfilling those prophetic words. And one of those details that we might miss is that Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives, right? And this is actually prophesied where the Messiah, where the Savior would come from right? So Jesus is following that pattern. He's fulfilling that. And if you didn't know when the Messiah was supposed to come, he would come riding humbly on a donkey, on a colt. And so Jesus was not only a fulfiller of prophecy, but he's also prophetic himself, right? He's able to predict in this instance and many other instances of God's word and God's future action. And so I point these things out in order to show you that these things are starting to build up. And the truth is that these layers, these prophetic acts being fulfilled, it was happening throughout the entirety of Jesus's ministry. And, and the people during that time, they would be making all of these connections. We, because we're so removed historically from this event, we might not be as familiar with all these prophetic words, but the people, the, the religious uh, Jews and, and the faithful ones, they, they knew God's word and they knew these prophecies. And when Jesus began to fulfill them, they began to believe that, yes, Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, right? And so it seems even more intentional that, the, that during this unique period of time where there's a mass influx of people, right? They're, they're coming to celebrate Passover. This is a pilgrimage, right? So they're flooding the town of Jerusalem. And, and Passover, if you didn't know, it, it's a celebration of God's action in the past when he freed the Hebrew slaves under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt, right? There's a whole story there. I won't unpack that then, but, but this was a, a remembrance of what God had done in the past. And they continue to celebrate it every year, just like we celebrate Easter, when God's done a mighty act and we celebrate it. This was their Easter. This was the Passover for them, where God freed them from oppression and delivered them from evil, right? And so they would celebrate this. This is happening on. And so there's this connection that they have to a history of when God has showed up, when God has helped them from freedom, from an oppressive power. And so when people know that, that they're kind of picking up what Jesus is putting down, right? People know that these prophetic acts that Jesus is fulfilling are about the Messiah. It's about the Savior that has been proclaimed to, to come and deliver the people of Israel yet again. And so they're already celebrating Passover from a historical sense, this past freedom, but they're celebrating it while they're currently under an oppressive power. They really believe that Jesus' role as the Messiah, as their Savior, was to free them from the current Roman occupation. You see all these layers building up to, to kind of set the scene about what is going on when Jesus comes into 
Jerusalem. It's because they thought, the people thought that Jesus was going to become the new king of the Jews. And that Jesus' role was actually to come and to overthrow Caesar, right? If we reference verse 38, it says, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And as we heard Hank mention in his prayer, and even as we sang or said with our, our call and response, that, that typically the, the prayers and the psalms that, that would say this line, it would say blessing on the one or blessing on he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there's a slight variation where, where people are saying blessed is on the king, right? Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So they have some pretty high expectations of what Jesus is doing and why Jesus has come. And they have good reason for it, right? Because they've been following Jesus roughly over the last three years and they've viewed Jesus' authority and Jesus' power in his teaching, in his ministry, in his miracles as a demonstration of God's favor over and through Jesus' life, right? So they're like, man, God is clearly on Jesus' side and, and that means God is back on our side. We can be redeemed. We can be saved, and now it's time for Jesus to make his, his grand entrance and finally make a move to be able to free us. They believe Jesus was going to assert his favor, assert his power from God to bring them salvation from the oppressive power, from the Romans, or at least that's what they thought, right? And we begin to see how all this culminates and it unfolds, right? If we read in verse 37, it says, as Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, there's that clue there, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. This is multitudes and multitudes of people, hundreds of people, again, that are all flooding into Jerusalem. And they have been building steam, right? The excitement is in the air and, and they can't contain themselves. They, the disciples of Jesus, they begin shouting and rejoicing, right? And there's a reason why the, the verse continues in the second sentence of verse 37. It says, they praise God with a loud voice because, because of all the mighty things they had seen. There was a reason that, that prompted their response, their worship, their praise of God in this moment. They couldn't help themselves but be excited, even if they didn't fully understand the, the full scope of, of the Messiah's role or the Messiah's purpose and, and the reason why Jesus came to bring salvation, right? Jesus did come to, to, to save Israel, right? To save the Jewish people. But he also came to save all people, right? And Jesus even came to save the, 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 the enemy, right? The, the Roman occupation. He came to save all people. Jesus was practicing what he preached. And, and even still, the, these multitudes of disciples, these followers of Jesus, they witness for themselves the greatness of God through Jesus's ministry. And again, this is why they were so excited. And they were about to witness something even greater, even though they didn't know it yet. In fact, it was going to be something so great, it makes Jesus give an interesting comment to the Pharisees who are tired, really, of Jesus stirring the pot, man. He's causing a whole lot of trouble, at least from the Pharisees' point of view, the religious leaders, by, by teaching these things about God and, and drawing people to him and to God. And, and so they're, they're probably a little bit more than annoyed by that, frustrated by that. 
But they're probably terrified too because, again, you have all these people coming in and, and they're afraid that if they make these proclamations, if they are waving these palms, which a palm branch was actually a, a, a symbol of the Jews, right? It, it, was, um, it was a way for them to have sort of patriot, patriotism, right? And so they're waving all these branches. They're calling Jesus king in the, right in the faces of, of Roman occupation. These Pharisees are starting to get nervous, right? They don't want the hammer to come down and there to be some trouble. And so they're in all sorts of places, right? And we hear and we, we read that they tell Jesus to silence his disciples. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, I tell you, if they, if my disciples were silent, even if you were able to silence them temporarily, the stones would shout. And, and this is an interesting phrase. It's actually another callback to another prophetic uh, word in the, in the book of Habakkuk, believe it or not. Um, but it's interesting because the stones themselves have an interesting symbolism in the culture of Judaism and throughout their religious history. If you read a lot of the Old Testament, the Jewish people would encounter and receive God's help. And that would usually happen in a particular place or at a particular time. And as a witness to what God has done for them, what they would do is they would, they would place a stone or they would place a stack of stones, right? And they would call this an Ebenezer. Maybe you've heard of that term. They would call this an Ebenezer. And Ebenezer is Hebrew for stone of help. Right? And so these stones were literally set up as a mark, as a witness to God's mighty works and to God's victory throughout history. And so these stones would testify and would remind the Jewish people throughout the generation, generations of God's action in the past. And as a result, it would give them more and more hope for the future. So God, you've been faithful here and God, we, we expect you to be faithful yet again. And I think this is really interesting because Jesus says that, that what he is about to do by going to the cross, it's a part of this larger story. It's a, it's a part of this larger calling to fulfill God's promise to redeem all of creation back to God's self. It's about fulfilling the promise of salvation and redemption. And it's so compelling that even if you could temporarily quiet his followers, creation itself, these stones, they would shout out and they would testify to God and to God's help and victory for us as a people, for us individually. But I think Jesus is, is taking that to even a, a new height, right? We know that even during the, the Passover meal, Jesus puts his new spin on that meal in order to have new meaning for what his followers would end up uh, needing to be and become. And he does a similar thing, I think, here, right? When Jesus is saying that, that there is triumph to come, but there's more, or excuse me, there's triumph here now, but there is more triumph to come, right? This, this is exciting, but this isn't the end of the story, not yet. There's something much more compelling, much more exciting. In fact, there's going to be another Ebenezer. I'm going to use another Ebenezer in just one week, right? In just one week. He says, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be 
dead and I'm going to be buried in a stone tomb, right? But on the third day, I will rise. The sealed stone of the burial tomb, what was supposed to to mark death, there's the closure on life, will now be opened, right? It, It will bear witness to God's victory and God's help for all of creation because the power of sin and death has been defeated. Friends, when, when you, we want you to, to be aware of, of God's presence in your life. When have you experienced God's help or God's victory? When have you seen God's mighty acts at work in your lives or in the lives of other people, right? We need to witness to the greatness of God in our lives so that we can remind ourselves of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, as well as help point other people to God's ongoing redemption in the world. And this is where our stories connect with God and connects with the story of Jesus, right? Because God is not done. God is not finished. God is still at work in our lives and in the, in the lives of those in the world. And, and I want you to hear that God is at work in your life so that your story joins with all of creation and joins in the story, the story of God's redemption. Your story actually becomes a part of God's story and it becomes a greater part of the hope that is for the world, right? If God could save someone like me, like Tyler, God can certainly save anyone, right? And this is, the, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of our discipleship as followers of Jesus. It's incredible. And, and we want the, the big idea for you this, this evening. And if you could uh, advance the slide for me, I've lost connection. But if, if you could advance the slide to the big idea, it's, it's that it says this. It says, witnessing to the greatness of God points to the ongoing redemption of the world. Witnessing to the greatness of God points to the ongoing redemption of the, of the world. That's when we do it, right? When we see God active in our lives, when we see it active in other people, we get to point out and say, hey, God is still at work. God is still on the move. God is still being true and faithful to God's promises. God is going to see it through until it is complete. And so what have you witnessed What mighty things have you seen? What are those Ebenezer's? What are those marks in your life where you have experienced God's help and you've experienced God's victory, which ultimately bears witness to the mighty works of God that begins in Jesus Christ and is fulfilled through his faithful followers? And once we witness those things, we have to name them. We have to own them. We have to begin to share them. And so I want to encourage you to speak up. Don't don't silence your own voice. And please don't let anyone attempt to silence your voice either. I don't want you to to succumb to, to any sort of fear or believe some sort of lie that A, you're less than worthy to be a part of God's story, or B, that your story isn't compelling enough right? You are worthy of redemption. Jesus died not just to save the the Jewish people. God 
died on the cross to save each and every one of you, to redeem each and every one of you because you are of value, because you are of worth. You are worth dying for in order to be redeemed back into this eternal love of God, into this eternal relationship with God. And that's why Jesus died. It died so that you might bear witness for what, how great God's love is. And if your story has anything to do with God's story, it's worth telling. It's compelling enough, right? Some of us have, have much more dramatic encounters with God. And for others of us, we've had these slow, gradual encounters. Uh, both are honorable, both are worthy, both are worth sharing and telling, but we shouldn't compare ourselves based on how it might look or be received. The fact is that God was at work in your life and you get to witness to that power. It's the same. It doesn't matter how it looks like. It matters that it was true for you and that it's worth sharing because it can give hope to other people, right? God will use your story of redemption to, to bring a spark of hope into someone else's life. Does that make sense? God can use your story of redemption to spark the hope of redemption for someone else, for someone that, that didn't know that they could have a relationship with God or, or live with God. You get to be a part of that. God uses you and uses your story because it becomes a part of God's story about the ongoing redemption of the world. You have a unique story about God's help and about God's victory that will continue to bear witness. It's the gift that keeps on giving when we choose to share it and we choose to bear witness to God's ongoing redemption in the world. This is why we celebrate. This is why we shout. This is why we give God praise. We do this so that we do all of this so that we can give our lives to loving other people just as much as Jesus has loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks to be in worship, God. God, where we can celebrate the, the small things, but God, we, we want you to just open our hearts and our minds and our expectations, God, that you can do even greater things. God, where you, some had interpreted that, that your salvation would only come to a few, God. That there is celebration in that, but there's even greater celebration, God, because the story opened up. God, because you wanted to bring salvation to everyone. God, that, that not just a small group of people will be a part of your story, but that all of us here now and today and in the future and the days to come, God, that we get to be a part of that story too. God, we get to be a part of redemption. We get to be a part of your ongoing redemption here in the world, God. And for that, we give you thanks. God, we do say, blessed is he. Blessed is Jesus, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, God, because he's the perfect fulfillment of your word, God, because he is your word. So God, maybe wait, as followers of Jesus, may we be followers of Jesus, maybe followers of, of your word. God, so that no matter what season we may find ourselves, God, that you are present, that you will see us through, that you will bring us through into redemption, into salvation, into new life, God. 
that you have promised for all those who simply believe in your son, Jesus. God, may we we remember, God. May we look back to our, our past lives, God, to those marks, those Ebenezers, God, where you have shown up. God, may that bring us hope. God, for those of us that are struggling or or for those of us that don't have a relationship with you yet, allow us to begin to to discern your presence, to listen to the people that have encountered your presence. And God, allow that to spark hope in their lives. God, use that, Lord, because you are faithful. What what you have begun in your son, Jesus Christ, God, the, the goodness that you have begun, God, you will see it until it's complete. Nothing can overcome or take away from that. God, your word says that nothing can separate us from your love, God, for those in Jesus Christ, God, because Jesus overcame the power of of sin and death, God. The power of sin and death, victory has been achieved, God. We we don't place ourselves in fear, God, but we place ourselves in, in trust and in love and in hope only by what your son Jesus has been able to do. So God, may we continue to shout. God, may we continue to give you praise. God, and would that compel us to love others as you have loved us. God, we give you thanks. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.